Good morning. Merry Christmas. It's getting close. I hope in the busyness of the season, you're able to make time and create space to be with family this Christmas time. It's a, it's a great time to enjoy time together. Um, you know, we live in a, a crazy time in our lives right now. There are uh, things going on all over the world, just in balance. Uh, countries uh, fighting against each other. We hear news reports about countries like North Korea and Iran and all this tension. Um, places in the Middle East like Israel and Palestine. And um, amidst all this tension, there's people who are trying their hardest to, to bridge the gap, to bring peace. There are negotiations that are taking place amongst people trying to bring these enemies together. Um, and yet, I don't think of all these negotiations that are taking place, any of them are as powerful as the negotiations that are currently happening in homes around this community and around the world between parents and children. That's right. It's that time of the year where the negotiations begin as to what we're going to get for Christmas. Mom, here's what I want for Christmas. There are lists being drawn up when into the tens and twenties. There are um, pages being torn out of newspaper ads and uh, videos being um, forwarded to parents, images being texted. Mom, Dad, this is what I want for Christmas. And the negotiations are beginning. It can get quite tense. It can kind of get a bit difficult because there comes that conversation where I'm not sure if you're going to get that for Christmas. But the great thing is... The great thing is that obviously we've got the fallback of uh, if things don't work out, if they don't get what they wanted, yeah, hey, I'm sorry, honey, I guess Santa didn't get it for you. I know you sat on his knee and said you wanted a puppy, but I guess Santa was all out of puppies this Christmas because he got your socks. But that's good because you needed socks. So, uh, you know, we'll just, we'll just put it in the lap of Santa uh, if it doesn't work out the way that they were hoping it would. Now... The negotiations are already thick and fierce in the Jane household. Uh, my kids have already let me know what they want for Christmas, and there's a little bit of pushing back there, and I'm like, that's kind of expensive. I'm not sure if you can get all of that. And uh, Will, in particular, he's my middle son. He is adamant about what he wants for Christmas. He's let me know now for weeks that uh, he's the only thing he wants. He wants these AirPod, earpods that Apple make. They're these little Bluetooth earphones that go in your ears, and uh, that's what he wants. He's like, Dad, that's what I want for Christmas. And uh, so the other day, he brought it up again. I said, Will, I said, I got some good news. I, I did a bit of research, and I found out, I found this website, this Chinese website, okay? And there's this place in China that sells those same things at a fraction of the cost. He's like, Dad. I'm not getting Chinese website headphones. I want Apple AirPods. I'm like, no, no, dude, you don't understand. These are like the same headphones. They just don't have the logo on. That's the only difference. They don't have the logo on. But he's like, Dad, I want the Apple ones. I was like, Will, do you not understand? Guess where Apple make their headphones? China, exactly. It's probably the same factory. It's probably the same headphones, but these ones go out with an Apple logo. These ones go out. So, so Will, it's the same thing. He's like, Dad, we're at breakfast. We're talking about this. Quick as a flash, he comes back and he says to me, Dad, that's like saying you can drink pee from a cow because it comes from the same place milk comes from. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> I don't know where he gets this from, this analogy. I mean, that was his logic. Like, I don't care if they're from China. If they're not Apple iPods, that's like drinking pee from a cow. I was like, okay, I get it. I get it. I understand the analogy. So, um, 
But Will, you're still not getting the headphones if you're out there. So, uh, hey, don't blame me. Blame Santa. It's not on me. So, um, but maybe all these kind of negotiations, these talks, the, the hustle and bustle of Christmas, I wonder if it's starting to take a toll yet. I wonder if over the next few weeks, you'll start to kind of feel the pressure, um, the tension. And sadly, I hope this isn't the case because we're in a series right now called Christmas at the Movies. I hope and pray that for all of you this Christmas season, that Christmas doesn't bring out this person in you. Check out this. Every who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot, but the Grinch just north of Whoville did not. The Grinch hated Christmas the whole Christmas season. Oh, please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. It could be perhaps that his shoes were too tight. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. But I think that the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. But whatever the reason his heart or his shoes, he stood there on Christmas Eve hating the Who's. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. You really are a heel. You're as cuddly as a cactus, you're as charming as a kneel, Mr. Grinch. You're a bad banana with a greasy The Grinch. I threw in a clip there at the end from the uh, Jim Carrey movie, because some of you, that's the only Grinch you know. But there was a Grinch before Jim Carrey, okay? The cartoon version. Maybe some of you this morning here grew up watching that. Do you know, before the cartoon, there was a book. Uh, a book written by Dr. Seuss about the Grinch who stole Christmas. So whether you've read the book, or seen the cartoon, or seen the movie, this Christmas, I hope you don't find yourself relating to the main character, the Grinch himself. Because sadly, um, for some, Christmas can bring the Grinch out of all of them. For some people, it just brings the Grinch out from inside. It happens, doesn't it? And, and, and we see it happening more and more. You know, Christmas just seems to be this controversial time of the year. There are some who are like, I don't want you saying Merry Christmas. I want you saying Happy Holidays. That's a big deal for some people. We read about um, nativity scenes and, and signs being put up by churches being challenged. And, you know, I, I feel like there's kind of this, this, this Grinch attitude that's like, I don't like this about Christmas. But actually, it's not really Christmas that's the problem. It's the, the celebration behind Christmas. It's who Christmas is all about. And that's Jesus. For some, that, that person, the person of Jesus, even baby Jesus in the manger, can stir up some controversy. I actually heard a pastor speak once, and he said that he'd been to Jerusalem right before Christmas on a, a missions trip, and he got to see the Holy Lands. It was a great trip. And while he was there, he actually bought a nativity set. 
And he bought this little nativity scene. It had everyone. It had the Mary and Joseph and the baby and the shepherds and the wise men who were just over to the side because they were on their way to the stable. But um, the whole nativity set, and he was coming back, and he arrived at the airport, and uh, they were scanning his bags, and his bag got flagged. And the guy opened his bag at Tel Aviv, and he, uh, he zipped it open, and he pulled it out. And the reason he got flagged was because the x-ray machine had picked up the nativity set. And this guard was very carefully examining every piece. And this pastor said, well, you know, what's the, what's the problem? He goes, we have to examine them in case of explosives. And the pastor said, I was looking on at the time he was handling baby Jesus. And he thought, you know what? That is pretty explosive right there. He's been pretty explosive for about 2,000 years now. He can have a very polarizing effect on people. For some, he's, he's the savior, he's the king of kings. But for others... It can kind of bring the Grinch out in them around Christmas time. But this isn't something that's just happened recently. In fact, if we go back 2,000 years, we can find that even when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, even though people came to worship him, shepherds and wise men, there was one person that the arrival of Jesus didn't sit well with. This was the Grinchiest Grinch there was. We're going to look at him a little bit here this morning. We touched on him last week, but we're going to look a little bit deeper this morning at the life of a man by the name of King Herod. Because this morning we're going to talk about two kings, two very significant kings. We're going to read about one of them. His name was Herod. We're going to learn that um, he wasn't excited at all to hear that there was a baby born called Jesus, who the wise men were referring to as the king of the Jews, because there was this second king, and that was Jesus, the king of the Jews. We read about it for the first time in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and they asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. So you've got shepherds who are worshiping, you've got these wise men, these magi, but King Herod, we discover, was disturbed. What does that mean, disturbed? Well, I think in order to understand why he was disturbed, we need to learn a little bit more about who he was. Why is it that this news of Jesus' birth brought out the Grinch in King Herod? Well, the first thing we need to know this morning is he wasn't actually a king. Okay, in the sense that he wasn't born uh, in a line of a royal family. Uh, he wasn't elected to be a king of any sort. He wasn't even an American actress who'd married a prince. Okay, he, there was no connection between him and royalty. What had happened was the Romans had conquered this area and they wanted to place somebody in charge. They put the, this guy by the name of Herod in charge and Herod decided to go by the name King Herod the Great. King Herod the Great, and he was great. He actually earned the name well. He lived up to the name. He did a lot of good things during his reign. He doubled the size of the temple. He built numerous palaces and fortifications. He kept that area of Palestine at a relative peace with its neighbors. So, so he was a great king, but this great king, he had some heart problems. This great king had some heart problems. Let me explain what I mean by this. You see, scholars, historians will tell you this about Herod. 
outside of the Bible. We don't know a lot from him just in the book of Matthew, but here's what we do know. We do know that King Herod had some heart problems. He had some some depression, some paranoia even. Here's what historians tell us about King Herod. They tell us that he killed his wife, Mariam. She was one of his favorites. He had dozens of wives, and this one was one of his favorites. But he got wind of the fact that her and her son were plotting to kill him. So he's like, that's it. I'm going to kill her. Later on, he heard or he actually suspected that his two sons were trying to overthrow him. So he had them killed. In fact, historians tell us that Caesar Augustus commented on this and said it's safer to be Herod's pig than to be Herod's son. He had this reputation of just, it was unsafe to be around this guy. He was so worried about losing his position. His heart was so messed up that he would do whatever it took. Do you know, when he was about to die, he was really sick. He was going to die. It says that uh, we're told that he, he rounded up dozens and dozens of some of the most influential people in the area, had them arrested and had them put in this, uh, this place and put out an order that when, um, when he died, he wanted all of these people to be killed as well because he was worried that when he died, people wouldn't mourn his death. So he thought, if I kill all of them, there'll be mourning all over Jerusalem. This is one messed up dude. This guy's got some problems. Now, fortunately, his family weren't quite as messed up. So when he did die, they released all the people that they'd captured. But we get a little glimpse from history of the mess that this king's heart is in. So this morning, as we're looking at Herod, as we're thinking it through the lens of the Grinch, I want to ask you, how's your heart? What's your heart like this morning? You might look at King Herod and think, well, comparatively, it's pretty good. I'm not paranoid. I'm not killing people. Actually, you know, I didn't think I was great, but I'm doing a lot better than Herod. But the reality is you might be doing better than Herod this morning, but if we're all honest with ourselves, there's some darkness in our hearts. And if you wonder if there is, if you wonder, maybe you need to have a checkup this morning. Do you know the best way to check your heart? I do this every Christmas. I go Christmas shopping on Christmas Eve. That's when I do my Christmas shopping. And uh, Christmas Eve, I, I battle the traffic. I arrive at the mall and people are pushing and shoving. There's no Christmas spirit. I get to American Eagle. They've got no socks left whatsoever. And, and pretty soon, there's a darkness in my heart that starts to appear. And every one of us, if put to the test, can see something of ourselves, something of our heart start to come to the surface. There was a prophet who wrote in the Old Testament. His name was Jeremiah. And he's talking um, the words of God here. He's speaking about the condition of our hearts, every one of us. It's actually God speaking through him. Listen to what he says in Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10. The human heart is the most deceitful of things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. God knows our hearts. And while we may not be King Herod this morning, every one of us probably has something in our heart that we wish wasn't there. We wish we could change. We wish we could handle differently. And here's the thing about problems of the heart. If it was just us that affected 
that would be one thing. Maybe we could live with that. Maybe we could live with it if it was only us that it affected. But sadly, when our hearts are a mess, when there's something going on inside of us, when there is a, a darkness or a brokenness in our hearts, sadly, it can play out in the way we are with other people. It can play out in our actions towards other people. Take the Grinch, for example. Look at him with his heart's two sizes too small. It drove him to go down to Whoville to take the gifts, the decorations, the food, the trees. He even took the log from the fire. And the one speck of food that he left in the house was a crumb that was even too small for a mouse. That's how much the Grinch's heart drove him to do something bad. Sadly, for Herod, his heart drove him to do something far worse, far darker. We read about it in Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with a child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until um, Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. His dark heart, his broken heart drove him to do something awful to try and destroy this king that he felt threatened by. But what's your dark heart driving you towards this morning? See, maybe your heart was hurt. Maybe you remember specifically what it was. But because of what happened, it now means that you refuse to trust or love others again. Maybe there's jealousy in your heart. Maybe you don't remember how it's there or why it's there, but you do know it's there because now you find yourself despising others who have more than you do or get to do more than you get to do. Maybe your heart this morning is insecure and it drives you to do or say things that you later regret. Maybe your heart's empty this morning and you try to fill it. You find yourselves trying to fill it with all the wrong things. Maybe your heart is wicked and it causes you to hurt others in order to get what you want or get to where you want to go. Whatever it is, if we're all honest with ourselves this morning, every one of us fights this battle of this heart that we see and find inside of ourselves. You know, Jesus, when he grew up to be a man, he confronted the religious leaders of his day. On the outside, they were all polished and perfect and righteous. But he talked about the fact that God doesn't see the outward appearance. God sees the heart. And he was saying, you religious rulers, you hypocrites. You make out that your lives are so perfect, but you judge others and you're You're cruel. He says this in Mark chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. He added, it's what comes from the inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. It's what's in your heart. 
it paints a pretty bleak picture of what's in our hearts, doesn't it? But here's the good news this morning. Herod's not the only king in the story. Herod's not the only king that we're looking at this morning. Matthew chapter 2 verse 11 talks about the response the wise men had when they met baby Jesus. They entered the house and they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When these wise men came across the infant Jesus, they bowed down and gave him lavish gifts. You don't do that with a regular baby. You don't even do that with a regular adult. You do that in the presence of a king. In the presence of royalty, the wise men recognized Jesus for who he was, the king of the Jews, the future king one day of our lives. One of the kings, Herod, reminds us of the condition of our own hearts. The other king, Jesus, reminds us of the solution to the condition of our hearts. That he has come to change our hearts. If at Christmas time, we remember that God, very aware of the condition of our hearts, knew that we would never be good enough, never be able to do enough right things, never be able to fix enough of the mess in our lives on our own. So he sent his son Jesus as a baby to grow up to be a man, to one day die on a cross, to build that relationship between us and God. And why? Hundreds of years before, in the Old Testament, a prophet by the name of Ezekiel, he explained what this, this one day Messiah King would do. In Ezekiel 36, verse 26, he says, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. This is God saying to Ezekiel, this is what I want to do in your lives. I want to take away that broken, black, that dark heart, and I want to replace it with a new heart, a new spirit. And here's the great thing this morning. Many of us here this morning, we've discovered the change that God can make in our lives. We've discovered the newness that he can put in our heart. And that's a wonderful thing to have in our lives. But you know what I love? is when because of what God's done in our heart, it starts to impact those around us. Some of you, because of your love for Jesus, because of the change he's made in your heart, you've picked up ornaments from those Christmas trees. You said, I want to bless a family here at Christmas. I want to help someone here locally. I want to help some kids in Africa this Christmas time. Because of the difference God's made in my heart. There are many reasons to want to help others, but if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, it's like we can't help ourselves because we know what he's done in our hearts and we want to make a difference in others' lives. I love it when you can see a life that's been changed by Jesus, a heart that's been changed by Jesus, the impact it can have then on others because that was the message of the Grinch. Check out this scene from the end of the movie. Every who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing without any presence at all. He hadn't stopped Christmas from coming. It came. Somehow or other, it came just the same. 
and the Grinch with his Grinch feet, ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes or bags. He puzzled and puzzled till his puzzle was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. The Grinch was convinced that the reason the Who's were happy was because of all the stuff. But when he took the stuff away and he realized they were still happy, it changed his heart. I love Christmas. I love opening presents. I love getting gifts for my kids. I love sitting up on Christmas Eve and reading. It was the night before Christmas with the three of them before they go to bed. There's, there's just so many things I love about Christmas. But when you strip all of that away, what I love the most about Christmas is that it's a celebration of the birth of Jesus. And whether it's Christmas or May or April or September, that same Jesus means the same to me in my heart. And I love that what he's done in my heart and what he's done in many of your hearts this morning just, just spills over into others' lives. People see the difference he's made. People realize that, that really when you strip away everything else around, it's Jesus. And the difference he can make in your heart, that's, that's the difference. And that's the difference that many of us seek after. There's a, some good friends of ours who call Connect Church their church home. They've been coming since the very beginning. And um, I love their story of how they came to find a relationship with Jesus, both the husband and the wife. They've come as a family. And very early on into their time here at Connect, the husband, he, uh, he decided that he wanted Jesus to be the Lord of his life. He made that decision. He got baptized. But for the wife, it took a little bit longer. I remember talking to her and there were still some things she had to wrestle through. There was still some baggage from the past that she was having a hard time letting go of. But what she couldn't deny, she enjoyed sitting in church, she enjoyed the messages, she enjoyed the worship. But as she built relationships with other people, the Jesus in them, the Jesus in their hearts started to rub off on her, started to impact her. Till eventually, it wasn't long after she decides, you know what, I want to I give Jesus control of my life. I want to make him the Lord of my life. I want to get baptized. And a couple of years ago, she was right here, got baptized, and it was just a wonderful morning. And, and that morning, we showed videos as we do every time we, get baptized, every time we have baptisms of people telling their stories. And I asked Megan, her name is, I said, Megan, can I show your story again? It's just a short clip from that baptism video. But what you shared was so relevant to what I'm speaking on this morning. Could I just show that clip again of what it's like when Jesus changes your heart? from the inside out when Jesus makes that difference in your heart? And she said, sure, show that clip. So check out Megan's story. When we started going to connect, it was for the kids. And I had already come to the conclusion that um, I couldn't be saved. I had done too much wrong. Um, and I didn't want my kids to go down some of the paths that I did. 
So we thought it would be best to get them into church. And um, the more I went and doing the small groups, um, and the more I learned, I just, I always heard that you could be forgiven. I just never believed it until now. She said that issue in the beginning. I'd come to the conclusion that I just couldn't be saved. But then something changed. I think through her relationship with others, through those small groups, those connections with others, bit by bit she started to realize, she started to see the change in others, and it was starting to change her heart. Being in the presence of Jesus, being amongst others who, who follow Jesus, it was starting to change her heart the same way that the Grinch's heart was changed by the people of Whoville. And this morning, Jesus wants to change your heart. Maybe you're a follower of him this morning, and it's just that, that prayer of saying, Jesus, I want more of you in my heart. Strip away some of that baggage from the past. I want my heart to reflect you everywhere I go. I want you to be so much a part of my heart that it influences how I treat others and the way I behave. But maybe this morning you're here, and you've not yet crossed that line. You can't, like Megan, say, um, I, I, I want to be baptized. Maybe you're still kind of thinking about this. You're not sure. And maybe like Megan, you feel like um, he wouldn't take you. That your heart is too much like that of King Herod's. And surely he couldn't forgive a heart like that. Well, the truth is, the reason that baby Jesus was born 2,000 years ago was God's way of saying, every single one of you, I love every. He, he wasn't born for a few select people. He wasn't born for the good people. He, he was born for every single person that lived at that time and that have lived since then. He loves you this morning. He wants to be a part of your heart. He wants to see your heart change from the inside out. So I pray this Christmas time that you'll allow Jesus to come in and change your heart, that your heart will grow and grow because of the love of Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you loved us so much, Lord, that you recognize that our hearts are um, just by nature hard and stubborn like stone. But rather than just leave us in that state, you, Jesus, you came. You came to soften our hearts, to change our hearts, to give us a heart of flesh because you love us so much and you want our hearts to be changed. This Christmas time, I pray, amongst all the great time we'll have with family and loved ones and uh, eating together, giving gifts, all the fun of Christmas. I pray that we'll always remember that baby in a manger who was born a king. A king who came to um, change the hearts of even the hardest of hearts like King Herod. You, you Jesus, have the, the power and the capability and the ability to change any heart that would surrender themselves to you. Help us to be one of those, Lord, that would say, Jesus, I give you my heart. Change it, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.